Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Friday, February 2nd. I'm Hannah Floor. The Alaska Senate passed a bill Wednesday to create a new pension plan for state and local government employees. Senate President Gary Stevens, a Kodiak Republican, listed the bill among the top priorities for the bipartisan Senate Majority Caucus, which largely backed the bill. Sponsor Kathy Giesel, an Anchorage Republican, says the pension plan would help state and local governments attract and retain employees. The change would apply to government employees enrolled in Alaska's public employees' retirement system and the teachers' retirement system. Most employees would qualify for retirement after age 60 or 30 years of service. Employees enrolled in the existing defined contribution plan would have an opportunity to join the pension plan if it is signed into law. Newly hired employees would be automatically enrolled. Skeptics of the bill included Sitka Republican Bert Stedman, a co-chair of the Senate Finance Committee. He warned that the plan risked the state's long-term financial health. Proponents of the plan say it would cost roughly as much as the state's current retirement system, or perhaps less. But that assertion was questioned repeatedly on the Senate floor. The bill includes a number of measures that aim to avoid underfunding. Labor groups applauded the Senate's passage of the bill. It now heads to the predominantly Republican-led House, where it faces an uncertain future. Petersburg's middle and high schools now have stricter cell phone policies. That's partly because teachers advocated for the change. They say cell phones are a distraction in the classroom. But the new policy also seems to be cutting down on in-school cyberbullying. KFSK has the story. High school science teacher Awana Ward says when students don't have their cell phones close by, they're a lot more focused on their work. When the phone is out of their reach, they communicate more with their peers, they they are more attentive to what's going on in the classroom, so I think it's a positive thing for the phone to be away. Petersburg High School and Mitkoff Middle School's new cell phone policy went into effect in January, after the winter break. Students are expected to leave their phones in their backpacks during class. If a student is caught with a cell phone in class, the phone will be confiscated by the teacher for the rest of the class period. If a student is particularly resistant, the phone is sent to the office and a parent is asked to pick it up. If the problem continues, the student won't be allowed to have a phone in the school at all. The new policy is not that different from the old policy, which bans cell phones in the classroom. But it is more specific, banning devices like AirPods as well. It's also being more consistently enforced. And now each classroom has a big sign clearly stating the rules to make sure students understand the expectations. Ward says she can already see the effects after just a month. For one thing, students aren't taking extended bathroom breaks in the middle of class to hang out on their phones. It's amazing to see that the bathroom break is not five, six, seven minutes. It's just like a minute because you can do what you need to do and come back and return to to your uh, assignment. Brad King is the secondary principal at the Petersburg School District. He says cell phones affect kids' ability to concentrate on the task at hand. He worries about the effect that has on academics. It's very difficult when you're expecting instant gratification for everything you do to have a a 90-minute or 60-minute or 45-minute attention span for your studies. But that's not the only thing King's worried about. One of the biggest concerns that I have with it is that 
through social media and cell phones, we get a lot of cyber bullying that I want to make sure does not happen on campus. He says that if staff can keep students off their phones for most of the day, they won't have a chance to bully as much during school hours. He says there seems to be a decrease in bullying already. I'm not getting nearly as many reports from kids that I got a text saying this or I got a nasty Instagram or whatever the case may be. I'm not getting as many of those as I was prior to us putting this into play. King says the school has formed a committee together with community members to create an anti-bullying program for the coming school year. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. The Petersburg Police Department's annual report indicates that many categories of violent crime in the community are down from previous years. The department's data shows a significant decrease in calls for help over the last six years. Theft and domestic violence calls have nearly halved since 2018, and police were getting called out to do about four times as many welfare checks six years ago as they were last year. The number of calls to report trespassing, car accidents, and sexual assault is also significantly down from the previous six years. Petersburg Police Chief Jim Kerr says crime spiked in the community around 2018 when the survey started. He thinks a small handful of repeat offenders account for that spike. It's amazing how one or two people can definitely affect a category in those classes there. So I think with the police department addressing certain people, uh, the police department getting involved in the community more, the community trusting the police department and working with the police department, I think you put all that stuff together and that's what's contributing to the decrease in crime here. But some types of calls have picked up. More people reported suspicious circumstances last year than they had in the previous six. Kerr says he sees that as a good thing. I also think that's the community having trust in their police department and calling the police department to report these incidences. And so when you have the trust between the community and the police department, you have more of an interaction. And so seeing that suspicious circumstances category climb, I actually look at that as a positive note for the police department and the community. Kerr also attributes the crime drop-off to his officers' investment in local schools. He says his officers regularly try to attend school functions and interact with students, which helps build trust in the small-town environment. The annual police report can be found in its entirety on kfsk.org. The Sitka School District is in the usual budget bind as it plans its finances for the next year, with an unusual twist. Thanks to a pair of recent ballot measures, there is significantly more local money available to spend on schools, but no mechanism to apply it where it's most needed, in the classroom. The SICA Assembly and the SICA School Board put their heads together during a joint work session in January to try and find a way to supplement the school budget without jeopardizing the community's share of state education funding. Robert Woolsey reports. This is the weirdest budget year for the Sitka School District in recent memory, but it's not really unique to Sitka. There are other communities awash in excess sales tax revenue from the rebound in cruise tourism, like Juneau, which want to support schools because they feel the state has throttled education funding by failing to raise the BSA. That's the base student allocation, or the amount of per-pupil funding for public schools. 
This is Sitka School Board President Tristan Gavon's frequent line of attack. I've mentioned this to you before that the base student allocation has only been increased $30 since July 1st, 2016. Uh, in that same time frame, we've had almost 30% inflation. So that has had a huge impact on our district. Um, you've seen the loss of positions like the Blashley Librarian, Science Enrichment at Keith Gushaheen, um, a number of other things that, you know, it's been these kind of small cuts over time, uh, you know, death by a million cuts. Fairly well-off communities like Sitka have made up some of the difference by contributing money outside the cap or above and beyond what state law allows municipalities to contribute to education. Outside the cap spending in Sitka in recent years has helped pay for student travel, the community schools program, and utility costs at the Blatchley Swimming Pool and the Performing Arts Center. Last year, however, the state signaled that it was going to start cracking down on outside-the-cap spending, which would force Sitka schools and other districts to absorb these costs, count them towards the cap, leaving less money for teaching. Sitka Assemblymember Tor Christensen has children in school and shared his dismay over the state's crackdown. I find it incredibly frustrating that not only are they not wanting to pay for the schools, but they're not wanting to let us do it either. Christensen is far from alone in his opinion. Sitka voters in 2022 passed an additional 6% sales tax on marijuana to support school activities, which brings in an estimated $300,000 a year. And last year, they passed a 1% sales tax increase during the summer months to support maintenance and replacement of school infrastructure. The annual revenue could land around $2 million. Neither vote was close. Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis said Sitkins were sending a message. The community has really stepped up in order to to fund the schools. Um, to get two tax increases passed is pretty much unheard of in this community. Um, in the last 20 years, I think it's probably the only two that we've ever done on ourselves. The solution to this problem has already emerged out of necessity. Last year, the city established a parks and recreation office to take over the functions of community schools. Now, the conversation is on school maintenance. The buildings all belong to the city. Why not transfer the district's maintenance department into municipal government? The net savings would be almost half a million dollars for schools, which could then apply it towards instruction. It will save, basically, if we go this direction, if we can get it pulled off, uh, uh, we'll save three to four teaching positions, I believe. That's Interim District Superintendent Steve Bradshaw, who offered no resistance whatsoever to the plan. In fact, when Assemblymember J.J. Carlson asked if there were plans to transfer the swimming pool to the city, Bradshaw did not hesitate. You can have it today if you would like it. <laughs> no action was taken at the work session, but assembly members agreed to give the school maintenance takeover serious consideration. The school board will resume its budget work at its next regular meeting on February 7th. But the question of maintenance could be eclipsed by a presentation from the committee exploring the renaming of Baranoff Elementary School. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Wolsey. The Juno Animal Shelter says a review of its 40-year-old facility found problems that are worsening the physical and psychological health of the animals that stay there. Clarice Larson toured the shelter to learn more. A litter of nine puppies at Juno Animal Rescue, all named after different Paw Patrol characters, were waiting for their forever homes last week. 
And they weren't the only ones looking for a new home. The shelter is too. Kevin Ritchie, a member of the shelter's board of directors, says when the current shelter was built back in the 80s, it was designed to warehouse animals, not as a place where they could thrive. We want animals in the facility to have as many advantages as possible, keeping them safe and calm and happy so they can be, uh, well, so they can have a good experience while they're here and they can be the best at their best when they're when people see them to to adopt them he says the need for a new shelter became more urgent when the american society for the prevention of cruelty to animals inspected the facility in 2021 the group said juno shelter had extensive problems and didn't meet national standards rick dristol jar's executive director says the shelter housed more than 420 cats and 360 dogs in the last year alone it also provided critical medical services like spaying and neutering and it houses Juno's animal control services. With limited space for dogs and cats, Driscoll says a shelter often finds itself at or near capacity, especially in the summer months. And if you're not a dog or cat... We have no housing really for uh, animals that are not a cat or a dog. So we, we basically use a hallway right now for you know birds, hamsters, rabbits, guinea pigs, that sort of thing. And that's a, a stressful environment for small animals. He says the building roofs need repairs and parts of the floors are beginning to sink. And the growing number of animals coming into the shelter means less storage space and less separation between types of animals. The board's wish list for a new facility includes a large outdoor area with a roof and better ventilation to reduce the spread of infectious diseases. They also want double-sided cages for easier cleaning. Here's Richie again. To clean an animal's cage, you literally have to somehow get the animal out of the cage down the hall into another cage. And it can be somewhat dangerous and, and certainly time-consuming. The estimated cost for a new building is 15 to $20 million for construction, not including the site. The land of the current shelter site was donated, and Richie says they hope that will happen again for the new one, which needs to be at least 2.2 acres. Using a facility that exists always sounds like a great idea, but basically this would be not on the level of a hospital, but, but that specialized. Richie says they plan to fundraise in the coming months and work with the city to find other funding sources. He says the project's timeline will depend on how quickly they can raise the funds. In Juno, I'm Clarice Larson. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.